You're listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of the ESPN Footy Tips AFL Podcast. Back for another week, Footy Week. My name is Matt Walsh and I'm joined by Neil Seawang. Neil, a couple of days and Footy's back on the television screens. It's going to be so exciting, isn't it? Um, it, Yeah, we're talking off air just seeing how how long ago round one seems and the fact that it's only a couple of days away uh, is going to be amazing and round one looks fantastic. Yeah, normally we'd, we'd actually be probably at the G. We're recording on Queen's birthday uh, today. Uh, Jake Michaels, normally you'd be probably at that game covering it. But uh, it's just nice to have footy back, I guess, even though we, we haven't been at the, uh, at the grounds for something like 10, 12 weeks. Jeez, I've lost count. <laughs> I know, it feels like about 100 weeks. But yeah, it's, it's how good is it? It's very exciting. Um, nice, uh, nice day in Melbourne today. And yeah, leading into... To, what really would be mid-season, but uh, round two. So it's exciting. Got to say, it would have been a perfect day for footy outside, uh, especially in, in Melbourne. It's just lovely. But um, I can tell you, having watched a few NRL games over the, the past week or two for work, it just has not done it for me. I'm, I'm ready to watch some, <laughs> some AFL footy again, ready for the teams to go out, the songs to be played, uh, the fake crowd noise to be trialled and maybe scrapped, and, and I'm just ready to get into it. Um, quick note before you're not we taking do... the jump to uh, you're not taking the jump to to NRL uh, writing anytime oh. soon. Oh, look, it's been okay, but uh, I think footy is definitely where my heart lies. I don't know about you guys. <laughs> I thought it was um, interesting yeah. that in round one, the NRL not to turn this into an NRL podcast, but in the in round <laughs> one, they had record ratings, so all the casual you know sports fans yeah. were um, were watching. And then round two, they nosedive. So interesting. They, re- they realised it wasn't uh, wasn't a great product, <laughs> and they're like, yeah. yeah. It was just they were just hungry for sport in round one, and, and I was the same as well. But yeah, can't wait for the sport that I love to be back. Fair enough, fair enough. Uh, no Christian Jolly from Champion Data again this week. Uh, like we said, we're hoping to get him back uh, on the podcast very shortly, but we'll be without him this week and his uh, insights into the stats. So Jake, you, we might have to get you to fill in that sort of thing. We know you like your, your stats and your quirky facts and all that. Um, but big boots to fill. Big boots to fill, mm. that's for sure. Um, we'll get straight into the agenda, though, because I'm, I'm ready. I'm so ready for footy to come back. We've got a full slate of nine games this week, uh, and there are some really, really interesting matchups. obviously starting on, on Thursday night with, with Collingwood to Richmond. But I want to go around the room. Neil, I might start with you. Which game really has, has taken your eye uh, heading into round... Uh, what are we up to? Two. Round two. It's the middle of June, and it's round two. Um, <laughs> there's, there's quite a few that, that are obvious. I mean, the, the season kickoff... Um, Thursday night with Richmond and, and Collingwood and then you've got um, the showdown and, and Hawthorne versus Geelong as well but for me the most intriguing one it's probably not going to be a box office hit but it's St Kilda versus the Dogs and I say that because both were absolutely for different reasons both were really really poor in round one the mm. Doggies they basically didn't turn up at all versus Collingwood they were absolutely embarrassing um, and St Kilda actually the fact that they coughed up a huge lead at half time. Half of North Melbourne's bench, you know, were were injured, yeah. um, if not three quarters, I think. So, and if either of those go zero and two, there's there's a huge amount of pressure on them. So I think there's a, a huge amount of pressure to um, uh, to rebound, um, and you know, especially the doggies being one of the premiership smokies, I think there could be a lot of trouble for them if they're zero and two. Well, both teams wanted to to make finals this year. I mean, the Saints have been pushing for a couple of years now, and and as you say, going zero and two for them is pretty disastrous for Brett Ratton, the new coach, um, because it's hard, it's a hard hole to come back from. I think we've, we've sort of touched on it a couple of times, but it, it is tough in a 17-game season um, to, to come back and make finals from a 0-2 position. And, and as you said, the Dogs are so disappointing in round one. 
one of these teams is going to be zero and two, uh, and and it means that one of these teams is going to really really struggle to make finals. Absolutely, I think there's more pressure on the dogs just because of the the heightened expectations. Um, well, they made I think finals anyone last expected. Year. Yeah, exactly, and I think with the additions of the two bookends in Keith and Bruce, I think everyone assumed that they would be mm. you know, really um, up there in premiership calculations and they were so far off it in round one. So more pressure on them, but equally St Kilda went out and threw open the checkbook at the end of last year, recruited, you know, a, 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 probably a third of their best 22, a new look players. So a bit of pressure on them as well. So that's the one I'm looking forward to. It's probably one that not many people would choose, but, there's a morbid, morbid fascination with who, who goes zero and two from that one. Uh, I like you've taken a close look at the fixture because that is a fascinating matchup, that's for sure. Jake, uh, your eyes, where have they gone to on that fixture? Well, uh, Neil said it at the start, but I mean, you can take St Kilda and, uh, <laughs> and the dogs if you want, but I know where I, what I'll be watching. Uh, the I'm calling it the season opener because it really feels like we're starting a new season. So Richmond Collingwood, I mean, does it really get much better than that? We, we kind of say... Uh, grand final preview a lot. I think it's overused. People probably say it six times throughout the season, but this genuinely feels like the two best sides uh, in the comp. It's a shame, it, shame fans can't be there because it would be 90,000 people easily. Could be 95 given how long it's been since we've had, had footy. So um, two great teams, two different game styles, so much talent out there. Um, and given the fact that there's been such a long layoff, it's really hard to pick a winner in it. Obviously, Richmond will start favourite, but I wouldn't be surprised uh, if Collywood got the job done. Um, I'd just like to Who's point out... really tip there for that one? Sorry, Matt. I was just going to say, before we do uh, pick a tip on that one, I just want to point out that last week, I'm pretty sure, Jake, I heard you say that um, the grand final preview would be in round five when Richmond and West Coast meet at Metricon Stadium. <laughs> well, I did say we. We all say that. <laughs> Me included. <laughs> but no, uh, it, I mean, Rich. Yeah. Yeah, no, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> I've got him there. That's, that's one of the five or six times that, that we all say in the media, is it? <laughs> yep. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, we're guilty of that too. Put a hand up. Um, yeah, do you, do you have a tip? I mean, Collingwood aren't going to be full strength for this either. Um, it, it looks like Adam Trelaw is not going to play for one, potentially more weeks. Um, so, you know, I think the, the, the Tigers will go in favourites, won't they? The Tigers will go in favourites, for sure. Um, but, and obviously Collingwood's a team used to having big crowds as well. But I wonder how Richmond's going to go playing playing at the G with no one there. Especially not so much against Collingwood, who a team that's used to used to playing in front of big crowds too, where they'll have an impact. But say they're playing against the Giants or someone like that, another good team. We know what happened on Grand Final day last year, but they're playing the Giants. There's no one there. That's advantage Giants, I reckon. Not not maybe not enough to for them to be favourites, but that's a huge advantage to them given that they'd normally be having to play there. Think back to that prelim they played a few years ago. Remember that? At the G, the uh, where it was 95,000. Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a huge advantage to team um, to teams that probably don't get a lot of fans at their games. But for a game like Richmond and Collingwood, where they both get huge crowds every week, yeah, I think Richmond will probably win. Now, I feel like they're going to really relish this season. Damien Hardwick spoke about it like a month ago, about how you know the winner of this premiership is... One of, it'll be one of the hardest earned ever. And I tend to agree with him, given all the crazy things that we've seen happen and the, this current situation and climate we're in. And he knows that if he can get the job done, that means they've won three out of the last four, including mm. 
one of the toughest ones to win. That just catapults the Tigers into greatest team of all time calculations. Doesn't matter. Oh, what it's pl- he's just set the, the, the bait out there for the media, and you've taken it hook, line, and sinker because he knows that his team's a premiership. <laughs> but he's favorite. not wrong. His team. Well, yes, he, he's not wrong technically, but he's just sort of said we can look back at this year if they win it, which they're the, the, the favourite. You'd say at this point, um, he's got right to say that we're the greatest team of all time, and he's just he's just put the bait out there, and you've taken it, Jake. I think. Um, well, he is, but I, but, I, but I agree that it's going to be one of the toughest to win. Uh, fewer games, players are playing shorter quarters. I, I think it's... Uh, More even debatable. season, though. Only 17. Only, you know, you're playing, I, think it's, I think he's got absolutely every right to say it. Because um, I think it's true. I mean, it could be a bolter. It could be someone that no one expects that just gets hot at the right time of year. The, uh, the longer the season is, the more it's going to favour the better teams so it's actually a disadvantage to the Tigers because all it takes is like an injury and they can't recover from it they have a few losses and they fall outside the top four or something so I think the shorter the season it's like anything if the season was two games I mean anyone can win it so the shorter the season the the more um, the Tigers lose their advantage I believe Um, so we'll have to wait and see but three three wins three flags out of four years including this this uh, coronavirus year will be a monumental achievement either way. It's, it's interesting, isn't it? If, if the Tigers win this year and they become a dynasty team, do you, would you put them on the same echelon as, as Hawthorne of recent years, as Geelong and, and, and Brisbane you of you know, 15 years ago? It, for me, it, they don't seem like they're at that level. I mean, all those other teams, are almost, there's almost a, a myth, you know, mythology about the great, you know, great centre square combination of, the Brisbane Lions team and, and the fact, you know, the Geelong had all these superstars. Because we're still in this dynasty, though. Like, it's still in this period. Yeah, maybe. Like, that's right. You sort of got to wait for it to, to end and the Tigers sort of slump back down to 13th and you go, geez, they're a good side. Or not. <laughs> <laughs> or not. But you're right. Yeah, you probably have... It's probably the benefit of time and then looking back, you sort of really, you know, you're able to sort of understand what sort of team they were. So we're yep. probably being a bit predictable. Well, the Premiership hasn't been run and done yet. Uh, we're still previewing just round two at this point. So we'll, uh, we'll keep the, uh, the Premiership uh, uh, talk for, for a bit later in the, in the season, perhaps. But um, I've got a couple of games that I want to sort of bring up. And, and the first one is uh, the Swans and the Bombers. Both teams won in their round one matches. So one of these teams is going to have a, a really good head start on, um, on a fair chunk of the competition if they can go two and zip. And the Swans, after having a, a pretty disappointing season last season, it'd be really good for them to sort of uh, have have that momentum going forward into a shorter season. Uh, but the Bombers, if they can go two and zip, maybe their long-awaited finals win is around the corner. So I think that's quite an interesting match. Uh, and then the other one, obviously, I think the showdown. There's been enough talk in the media between the likes of Koshy and, and the Crows having some more controversies with uh, Andrew McLeod sort of coming out and saying it's not a place that he really likes to go to at this point. Um, Crows obviously need to win there. They're zero and one. And, and Porter on top of the ladder with uh, the ladder-leading percentage. So... Big game there for both the South Australian clubs. I think it's a, in terms of round two slates, I think the AFL has manufactured a pretty good one. Well, it's crazy that we've managed to speak about four games and we haven't even spoken of Geelong and Hawthorne on Friday night. Um, (laughs) You know, Mm. yeah, and the fact that Hawthorne haven't played down at Geelong for 14 years or so, that's going to be fascinating to see if, if old mate Clarko, the master coach, can actually formulate a game plan that that can win down there because the Cats hardly drop a game down there. We're never going to let well, Jake forget the so. master coach thing after he had a rant that time, are we? <laughs> you don't need to. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay. Um, yeah, like you say, I mean, 
just wall-to-wall decent games. Obviously, the Lions, too, they're, they're disappointing round one. Playing Frio, surely they win that. Um, the Ds and the Blues, one of those teams will be 0-2 and two after hoping for better seasons. Um, yeah, the list is kind of endless, really. Mm, can't wait. Um, all right. Well, moving on. Last week, we did touch on Chad Wingard's self-imposed media ban as kind of a way to protest Australia, Australian media's uninformed attitude towards the Black, Live, uh, Black Lives Matters movement. We've since learned that he himself has been the victim of racism in, in general society. He spoke on a po- podcast during the week and sort of detailed how Port and the AFL were quite um, standoffish and, and didn't really want to get involved with that sort of thing. Um, we've kind of seen in, in Australia this week that the Black Lives Matter movement has gained significant traction, especially in the Indigenous community and, and in surrounding deaths in police custody. And players like Wingard have become increasingly vocal over, over days and, and probably the last week. I think it's now likely that we're probably going to see, like we sort of expect when American sports get back underway, uh, on-field activism and, and some protesting from players. I wouldn't be surprised if, if players come out with... Um, like armbands or, or um, ride on their wrist tape like BLM or something like that. I, th- I think this is now this movement's now gaining enough traction that it's going to be a, a big thing for, for Australian sports people and those that have the platform to do something about it. Yeah, I, think, I hope I we see... Right. Uh... <laughs> Sorry, hot topic, I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hope we see, see, um, see a lot of... Well, we just lost Jake there, so maybe Neil can go... <laughs> Oh, hang on, he's going back. Gotta love the old NBN. And it, look, it is really sad to to hear Chad's story about um, stuff when he was uh, at Port Adelaide. He said, uh, and maybe the the saddest part was the fact that when he mentioned it to um, to his club, to to the power and the actual AFL, very little was done about it. Now, this we're not talking about something that happened thirty or forty years ago. This is something that happened, you know, six years ago or seven years ago. It's not that long ago, and and to think that was that was sort of around the Adam Goods time when he started to speak out or maybe just before it. And, you know, it's really, it's really sad. We, we hear about a lot of this sort of stuff. And I, and I think, as you said before, Matt, that this, this movement now has, has gathered so much steam. It's now, you know, inspiring other people to tell their stories and, and the more and more people to tell their stories, I think people feel more comfortable because there's a bigger group doing it as opposed to just one or two that might cop a lot of pushback. And I think one of the most important elements is the fact that it's not just black athletes that are taking a stand. They've got, you know, they've got so much support from the broader community. I think um, it served as a wake-up call to the white community as as to exactly what these um, minorities and um, and communities have to go through. Um, and a lot of it's just casual ignorance from from your standard person on the street. So um, one of the um, interesting elements, Matt, you might know more about this than I, being a hardcore NFL fan, was the fact that people have, uh, or, you know, franchises and, and even the NFL itself have looked at what happened to Colin Kaepernick and said, actually, he was doing the right thing by peacefully protesting um, and maybe they need to revisit their attitudes about, you know, what and what he did and what others might do in the, in the future as well. Mm. Look, some of these clubs and, and obviously their, their marketing and their PR teams are doing... Um, doing some hard yards at the moment and then fair enough that they, they want to say the right things. And, and that's, that's really good that they are now starting to see where they went wrong. But these are the same clubs that, um, you know, over the last three or four years have not given Colin Kaepernick a chance. Um, he, he was a Super Bowl. Um, he performed in a Super Bowl. He was like, he was one of the best quarterbacks in the league. Uh, and then he took a stand uh, by, by taking peaceful protests during games. Um, he was then benched by the 49ers, let go by the 49ers. 
worked out with maybe a couple of teams who would, who would even look at him, even though half the league would have been comfortable with him as their starting quarterback. And, um, and just and flat out refused to acknowledge them, them or sorry, flat out refused to align themselves with him and, and what he was standing for at the time, which, um, you know, in hindsight, four years down the track, it, it's, it's sad that this is what that these guys had to go through. And, and um, now that society, well, and corporate America, in, in a sense that these, these, um, these teams are sort of privately owned as well. Now that they're sort of starting to wake up and sort of say, Hey, he was doing this four years ago and we probably should have started listening then. I think he's good, but oh, man, I feel bad for someone like Colin Kaepernick who had to go through it separately and on his own and four years prior to everyone else where this movement is now starting to gather steam and, and rightly so. What strength. And he sacrificed his career. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one man well, taking a stand. Is, you know, in fairness, in a good deal with Nike. So it's not like I don't think he's going, um, you know, without bread on the table or anything like that um, for, for taking a stand. But obviously that's different. And his passion is, is in, in addition to activism for this sort of stuff, he's obviously football and, and he's wanted to play football for the last four years and hasn't been given the opportunity despite being good enough. Uh, and that's probably the saddest thing about it all. But surely now um, the argument that you hear in America a lot, maybe more so in basketball, the, the old shut up and dribble argument, surely that's now a thing of the past because these people are active members of society, so they can have an opinion on societal issues. Uh, and, and more than that, a lot of these black athletes are, are receiving on the receiving end of a lot of this, this racism and this discrimination. So, of course, they have the right to speak up. Um, so hopefully we see an end to that sort of attitude of, of, of shut up and dribble. And we sort of saw it with Adam Goods, as you say, um, guys, a few years back now. Um, and that, that these players like Wingard and, and other Indigenous Australians and, and um, other Australians, people of colour, you know, the Sudanese players like that, that they have a, a right to sort of um, share their opinions and their, and their activism. And, and if it's on the field, good on them, for, uh, as far as I'm concerned. I hope, I hope you're right, Matt. I was really saddened to hear about the Wingard um, situation that he didn't feel supported by the AFL. And it comes a few years after what happened to Adam Goods and the AFL has come out and said that they should have done more. Um, so I really hope that it's a wake-up call that the AFL, if we're talking about it purely with an AFL lens on, that the AFL fully supports um, this, whatever the, the, the individuals or the clubs want to do in terms of showing their solidarity uh, and wanting to spread a message. I hope that the AFL actually decides that this is the time to make a stand and, and not sit on the fence with the, a lot of the stuff that they've done in the past. Yeah, for sure. Uh, moving on, maybe something a bit more uh, football and lighthearted than, than, than political. But it's Patrick Dangerfield's 250th game this week. He's had to wait a few weeks to, to run out for his 250th, obviously. But hasn't that crept up really quickly? You kind of forget um, that he was, you know, I think he was drafted back in 2007, was it? Uh, Neil, you were sort of saying off air that he had to sit out his first entire year because he was too young. And now it's his 13th season. He played season. one late game. He played yeah. one late game that year because of school commitments. Finishing school, yeah. yeah. Um, but, but now he's 13 years into his career. Um, I've got a couple of questions, though, about his career. Is time running out for him now? Uh, that's the first one. And secondly, does he need a flag to be considered one of the, the game's greats? Well, the, the second... I'll start with your second question, even though you put it um, behind the first, Matt. Um, <laughs> that, that's an endless debate, isn't it? Because you can, you can go through the cavalcade of, of previous stars, and if you, if you say that you need a flag to be... Con- to be considered a great, then it means you're discounting Tony Lockett and, and Gary Ablett Sr. and all these, Nathan Buckley, all these absolute legends that never won a flag. Um, so I've never subscribed to that. I think the flag, if you win a premiership, it shows that you're part of a great team. 
Um, but it doesn't stop you from you know being being looked at as as a fantastic individual player. And I know it's harder to in a team sport with eighteen people on the field as opposed to you know other sports where there's much less. It's harder to to be that standout individual that can drag a team across the line by themselves. So um, I don't subscribe to that. I, I think if if Patrick plays another five or six years, he might get up to three hundred and fifty games. He's he's super durable, um, and if he you know, keeps his level for the next four or five years and doesn't win a flag, I think he'll still go down as an all-time great. I don't think there's any doubt about that. Jake, Thank what do you, you reckon? You're a danger man, aren't you? I think Jake gets frustrated when he gets paid forward too much. I do. Uh, I'm a danger fan, not a, not so much a Chris Scott fan uh, of, of that. But <laughs> I, look, I, th- yeah, I think... Um, I agree 100%. I think that... I actually get really annoyed you know, in all sports, not just AFL, where, where fans will say, oh, well, he's no good because he never won this or he's no good, he's never won a premiership or Ridiculous. whatever. It doesn't make any sense, you know? And that's probably the thing. I, you hear it so much, particularly in like basketball or something like that, where people say, oh, well, LeBron's not as good because he lost in finals. Michael Jordan never lost in a finals. It's like, yes, but have you watched some of the teams that LeBron has been on and some of the teams he's had to go up against? He single-handedly made them the best player and then he left and they the team and then he left and they became the worst team in the league. So I think it's the same thing in the AFL. I, if Danger wins a flag or not, I don't think it changes the fact that he, he, if you look at his highlights and what he does, he's one of the best players of the modern era. I'll play um, devil's advocate, make, Jake, because you, you raise a good point with the, the, the LeBron and the Jordan thing. But Dangerfield went to a stacked team. Uh, and the expectation was the Cats would win a flag because they had a stacked team. Uh, and they haven't won a flag. Uh, they have, but it's have... not all on your shoulders, Matt. No, I, I know it's that. It's all but, on one person's shoulders. But um, I, I think that I would have expected when he made that move, I looked at Geelong and I thought, geez, they're, they're a bloody good team. And, and they could win two flags in the next five or six years while, while Dangerfield plays there. And I've been a little bit disappointed. I think, I think I've made it well known that I've been disappointed by the Cats. And, and I said, I said, this is their last chance. Like, I think they can win the flag this year. But this is their last chance. To yeah, do I so agree with a lot you. of these players. Are getting I agree old. with you. I agree with you about the disappointed part. But I think we're we're all too quick to be like, oh well, the Cats should win two flags. But then you look at Richmond, or oh, they probably win two. Collingwood, they could win one. West Coast, oh they're good too. The Giants, oh well, they're going to win ten flags. Everyone was saying ten yeah. years ago. Mm. There's only one flag to win each year. Um, not easy to win a flag. It's not easy to win a flag. So Geelong, I, I wouldn't say that Dangerfield's legacy lies on him winning a flag or not. It doesn't. I think that's silly. But I would say if by, say, by the end of next year, if Geelong has not made a grand final without Dangerfield, I would say that that's really disappointing. Yeah. Because as you say, when he, when he joined that team, they were one of the best, talent-wise, they were, they were a top four side. Um, and for them to not make a grand final, forget winning a flag. They haven't made a grand final yet. If they made the grand final this year and lost to Richmond, would you really hold it against them that much? No, you probably would say, you know, they had a good year, but if they go another year this year and then, and then you look at all the, 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 the best players on that team, they're all getting older. I mean, everyone's getting older, but they're all in their thirties. Um, you would say it's a, a real disappointment for them not to get there because Inevitably, there's going to come a time where that cycle that those players leave, and then they do start dropping down the ladder again, and it's all about finding new talent. Getting getting back to the fact that it's his. Oh, sorry, Neil, you you go. 
I was just going to say, I wonder if there's a few parallels with um, Danger coming back and if he doesn't win a flag with, with the Cats, whether there's any parallels with the, the Buddy deal in, in Sydney. A lot of people would write that off as a loss if he doesn't win a flag, but, but there's so many other elements to a move and there's only so much one man can do. So mm. disappointing I think is probably more... the right word. Like the Swans, Swans fans would be disappointed. I think Cats fans would be right to be disappointed if he doesn't win one with that, with that team, but... I still think he'll go down. I don't think his legacy will be affected if he doesn't. It'll just be a cherry on the top for mine if he wins a flag or two. I think the, the buddy deals. I mean, we're getting a bit off topic, but the, the buddy the buddy deal is more uh, of a win, I think, for Sydney because of the market that they're in and, and what someone with that name and star power does. I think we've had this discussion on the podcast before, but I, I think the, the buddy deal is a win for sure. But um, yeah, Dangerfield, look, I don't disagree with you guys. I'm, I'm playing devil's advocate a bit. I think you're right, Neil, in, in saying it's the, the cherry on top would be a flag, but you kind of just feel that a career and a player of his calibre, it, it would be a shame if he doesn't win one. It's but then couldn't you say the same thing about Nat Fife? Couldn't you say the same thing about, as Neil said, Gary Ablett Sr.? Couldn't you say the same thing about... Um, Nathan Buckley. There's in a in a grand final though. Yes, but would what? So if if Danger plays in a grand final but loses it, we say, oh well, he was good. He played in a grand final. Oh, I don't think so. I, I think we just look at him and we think he was one of the best five players of the last twenty years, and uh, or fifteen years, however you want to sort of whatever you want to say, and you know he's won. Pretty much, he's won everything individual. He's done everything he can for that team. He's been, it's not like he's gone to Geelong and been really disappointing and underwhelming. No, At some point, like, like, like Neil said, it gets to a point where it's like, he can only do so much. You've got, you've got 17 other guys on the field with him at any one time. And at some point, we look, it was, was it you that, that, last year or the year before was going on about, and I was too, but I know you were, about how their bottom six was terrible. So Dangerfield can be the best player ever to pick up a footy. But if their bottom six, as we all were saying, and not just us, but everyone was saying for a long time, is average, hmm. then they're never going to win a flag. So we're I don't not think bottom it's all six is in backline either. Bottom six is in the last six players each week, two or three years ago at the Cats, was, was pretty dismal. Revolving it was dragging them down a little bit. A little bit particularly yeah. compared to that top six. Yeah, very top-heavy to Cats. Um, but, I mean, you kind of think the other side of 30, 250 games, still in the prime of his career, though. But there's got to be a, the next generation. You always talk about, like, the Dusty, the Fife, the Dangerfields. Who, who's the next genera- Who's the next person when they've played 250 games, won a Brownlow, that we're going to be like, geez, this guy was the player of his generation? Who's, who's the next sort of calibre of player that we're going to see? You're asking for one, one player to be the next Danger um, or You fight. can put a couple up. It doesn't have to be a midfielder either. I've got a forward that I'd like to put forward. I've got I've well, got two, and they're both from the state of New South Wales. Um, playing or playing. have, have all right, yep. uh, they're currently playing in the state of New South Wales. So one is Isaac Heaney. I think if I could pick any player under the age of twenty three, he'd be just about my number one. Just his his marking ability and his explosiveness, um, and the fact that he can go forward and back. I well, I just I'll, think he. I was about to say Matt. you want to um. If you if you send him down to Geelong, Chris Scott knows exactly what to do with him, and that's put him forward when he needs to be in the midfield, or <laughs> vice versa. It must be a tough. If 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 you've got a player that can dominate in both areas of the ground, it must be sort of. Yeah. I mean, goals are so crucial. You can win a game with twelve goals these days. So mm. it must he's be such a clever. Him. He's such a clever player, Heaney, and and we actually we had our chat uh, a few weeks back with with some assistant coaches talking about the art of coaching. 
And he's the sort almost that player. I know he's young, but man, you just almost say to him, you just go wherever you need because he's so good in defense. He's so good in the forward line around yeah. goals. And then he can go into the midfield too and actually be the best midfielder in the game. So when he's on, he is seriously good. And, and I, I agree. I reckon he's just about, just about top dog of the young guys. And the other one I've got is um, plays for their crosstown rivals. I think Lockie Whitfield can, can become a true grade of the game. There's, I think he's the best dual-sided kick in the league. Um, sometimes I don't even... I can't even tell which is his natural side. Um, he he's probably probably doesn't get the the recognition he deserves because there's probably about six or seven Giants players that are all you know at that top level, that elite level. But I think he could if he if he gets a full a couple of full seasons together, he can do stuff with the footy. He can kick it so beautifully that he's such a weapon. Um, yep. So he he and uh, Heaney are my two two picks to take a big jump this year and be considered one of the greats. Jake, have you got a name for us? I'll give you two as well. Uh, I think I might have mentioned these guys last year when we did our buying and selling uh, player stocks. Um, I'm a big fan of James Warple from the Hawks. I think he's, and again, I'm going young guys, um, not necessarily going to take that step to the danger fields of this world next this year, but I think in time they'll be, uh, he'll be a top five player in the comp. He's just, if, if you watch what he did, uh, particularly with, uh, Tom Mitchell going out of the team last year. Jaeger O'Meara struggling at times. I think he's just, he's an elite player. He's a great ball winner and he's a really strong ball distributor. He's only going to get better and better. Uh, and the other one is Josh Dunkley. I think we saw him going to another level last year. And again, young, strong body, good inside. Uh, and he's just going to get better and better. He uses too. it pretty well. It's funny, Jake. I don't know. I... I would never pick either of those two because they're not overly polished. Um, and I, I, got, I kind of think of them as elite ex- extractors and elite accumulators. But oh, yes, see them because, as, because Patrick Dangerfield is extremely polished. I knew you were going to say that, but they don't, <laughs> hit, don't kick goals like, like Patrick does. Don't, can't, don't often play one out forward and kick goals as well. Can't take contested marks. So I consider them elite inside mids, but I can't see them becoming true greats of the game. Well, do we, yeah, so do we mean they'll become the next Martin or Dangerfield, a player that can play forward or mid and kick 30 Not goals so a much. year? Just or do we mean just the best, pl- a top player in the competition? Because I think they the can be, player. I think they can become that. I'm not, I don't think Warple or Dunkley are ever going to be, ever going to be playing like one out like Dusty does and kicking 30 goals, 35 goals in a year. I don't think they're going to, I don't, I, mean, I know they're not going to do that. But in terms of top players and um, where, that you look at a Brownlow medal if you're fighting for to win a Brownlow medal. I kind of that's kind of a good mark as the, the top players of the competition. I think they can both be around that mark in the in in the next few years for sure. Uh, oh, okay. Side, uh, if we're not feel. talking those that can dominate the midfield and then go forward, I had Max King as a bloke that I think is just going to be oh, next How many level. Games he played good. while she's played. I know. Played I am, one game? I'm very excited <laughs> to watch Max, Max King. Just a big the, call. Some of the photos you see the Saints put on Twitter and, and Instagram or, or Michael Wilson, the AFL photographer, posts, I am buying stock in Max King big time. I know he was a top Matt. five draft pick, but um, he'll be one of the greats. You're the basing game. this prediction on some photos from training of a yeah. bloke looking big. <laughs> it's all right because Jake swans around the office, or, or at least before uh, COVID, swan around the office every week saying, James Warple 2021 Brownlow medal. So, um, you know, we can have our big call. At least he's got some sort of form. <laughs> at least he's got some, some well, good year my, of footy behind 
my other nomination is probably more of a realistic one for the the, the parameters we've set is um, is Humor Cluggage from the Lions. Had a really, really good season last year. Averaged 23 disposals and a goal a game. And I just get the feeling that he's filling out really nicely and will be able to push forward. Um, and because he's a great kick of the footy, it will be able to push forward in those, maybe those one-on-one situations and, and snag a goal or two a game. And, and I think he could be uh, a star up there for the Lions for many years to come. Yeah, he's, that, he's very one. impressive. No Sam Walsh? Oh, he was next on the list, but he's only 19. So uh, we'll give him a couple more years. To... To vote for... How old's Max King? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. Hey, just um, draft, I, can, I can see Max King being an absolute star of the competition. Quick, quick question without notice. Will the, twins, the King twins ever play together? Will one of them be lured north or south? Yes. Okay. Uh, they'll go north, <laughs> just for something different. You reckon the two King Twins will play at the Gold Coast? That'd be awesome. No, That'd be it would be, it would be good for the would good be good for footy, for footy uh, if they did for sure. Um, speaking of players who have only played a handful of games, uh, well, at least uh, at his old club he did. Uh, Harley Bennell's potentially in in line for selection, if not this next week. Neil, you're a D's fan, and uh, obviously he was a pretty shrewd recruit from all all sort of things considered. Um, would he be up there with the best injury comeback story of, of the modern era? If he could get fit? He would. Before you say he's, he's a shrewd recruit, he needs to get on the park and play. Like he, there's still so many ways this, this story could go. He, he might not get selected. He might pull a calf in his first minute back. Remind um, us what, what Melbourne right. gave up for him? Nothing. So Melbourne gave up nothing for Correct. him apart from a rookie salary. So yeah, you're shrewd right. Recruit. In that respect, it's a no-lose situation. Um, but he still needs to actually... You know, it'll be a fairy tale, as Simon Goodwin said, and, and we'll get Jake's insight into Simon Goodwin. He was on that press conference today, um, just a couple of hours ago. So, I think from Melbourne point of view, it was a, a no-lose situation. You get this incredibly talented player. I mean, there's not many players in the league that can get 25 touches and kick six goals in Geelong, which he did for the Suns a handful <laughs> of years ago. So the, he, he's just an incredible talent. And he talk about Melbourne being too inside-centric. He's one of these players that can be on the outside and damage. So it makes sense that Melbourne would give him a go and try and get him fit. And he's a, it'd be great for footy if he stays fit. But I wonder how the, the Dockers and the Suns will feel, you know, having invested so much in him over the years and not getting a whole lot of return from him. And, and if he does turn out to have a, you know, five or six years at Melbourne and playing good footy, I think they'll be, they'll be cursing themselves. Remind me to ask Christian when we have him back if uh, if he's the, if Benal's the only player to actually achieve that in Geelong in like the last twenty Absolutely. years. Well, like maybe <laughs> Gary Junior or Senior, maybe. Maybe Steve jo- <laughs> Steve Johnson, I think, had one of those, a couple of those games, maybe. But I think um, you're right. when they beat Melbourne by about five hundred points. Four hundred. Surely someone had those sorts of numbers. Uh, Jake, how was how was Simon Goodwin today when you chatted to him? He was, uh, the thing that, that struck me was how excited he genuinely seemed um, at the possibility of, of Harley playing. Um, it's crazy to think he, of his journey of the last three or four years um, and how long he was at the Dockers, but he only played two games. Uh, it's crazy. So um, I think you're right. I think it, they, the Ds might not have given up anything for him, but if he, if he gets on the park and, he, and he, he's back out injured again or he doesn't play, then... Whether you think it's a shrewd recruit or not, I mean, it's not really worthwhile unless he plays. So, but the D's seem confident that he can play. He got through. Uh, he got through a match simulation over the weekend on Saturday, and he looked quite good. And he pulled up nicely from it. And 
according to Simon Goodwin, he's he's banging down the door and he's he's a big chance to play uh, in round two against uh, against the Blues. I must admit, um, this probably shows how much of a, of a demon's nuffy I am when. When it looked like he was edging closer to, to playing a senior game, I did did crack out the YouTube and and watch highlights of of Benel at, at his best at, at, at Suns, and I am uh, rubbing my hands together to see him back out there in the red and blue. He's there's not. Well, many we all forget how good he was. Like that, mm. yeah, just slotting goals from the boundary with ease from about fifty five, both feet. Um, yeah, mm. fingers crossed he can actually avoid injury and, and um, play some string some games together. You touched on it just before, but who? Um... Who loses more, do you think? Who feels more pain if if the D's can get Bennell to, to become a consistent player that's playing every week and is, is a solid contributor? Who who hurts more, the, the Suns or the Dockers, do you think? Oh, okay. I, I think, think the Both. Dockers, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the, he played 80-odd games at the Suns. You know, he, he strung some really good footy together. He might not have been the best cultural fit up there with a the young team. And by all accounts, he's turned his life around after becoming a father and, and whatnot. Um, but at least he played 80 games for them after being picked at number two. I think the, the Dockers, you know, they paid a, a reasonable price to get him. And he only, he only um, played two games. They would have poured a lot of hours into their sports science team trying to get him right. But they, they got nothing in return in the end. Mm. Yeah, agreed. Agreed. Um, we are also thinking maybe potentially, well, the NRLs is pushing for it, but the AFL may also have fans at games in coming weeks as well, guys. Uh, before we go, uh, I just want to sort of get your thoughts on, on what a grand final day might look like, because there are a few variables that are still up in the air. One is the start date, the start, sorry, the start, the date that it was played on. The start time is still up in the air. Um, if fans are allowed to attend is still up in the air and we think it'll be at the MCG, but that's technically also still up in the air. So I want to go around the room and, and ask you guys what your grand final day would look like. And sort of, I'll go first just to sort of give you an idea. I think that they'll allow um, fans in at a, at a, you know, one fan per four square metres. So it'll be maybe one fifth full. They'll have 20,000 fans in. Starting the game uh, after the Cox Plate, so in the either late twilight or the early evening uh, on that, Saturday, the 24th of October, if all things go well. Um, and, yeah, I think it'll be an experiment for whether they will continue with that sort of stuff full-time next year and, and beyond. I mean, how do you predict the crowd? So I, I know that we're, in, we're trying to get our crystal balls out here, but that's all dependent on what happens with, with COVID and whether there's a second wave or not. But I, I, I'm intrigued by the AFL trying to you know, tiptoe around the, the, the racing Victoria and the Cox Plate. You know, this is a league that has, you know, thrown its weight around so much over the years. And, you know, they've had that relationship with cricket and they've, they've always sort of said, no, we're the top dogs all year round. You know, we're not going to care if, if we spill into your season. So I'm surprised that they just don't name the date and say, this is when we're going to have it if all things go well. Um, that being said, I'd like to see a night grand final experimented with. Um, because I think, as we touched last week, this is a season of experimentation. If you're going to try something, try it this year. If it doesn't work, then you can say, well, you know, 2020 was a bit strange. Um, and if it doesn't work, then, yeah, go back to what, what previously happened. So just before we get to Jake, do you think the AFL might use the Cox Plate as an excuse, despite the fact that it could easily throw its weight around and say we'll start at the same time? Yeah, absolutely. 100%. I think if they really wanted to have a day grand final on the date of the Cox Plate, I'm surprised that they're not going to come out and say, we're going to hold it whenever we want. 
But I think that they're just going to use it as a, as a platform to say, oh, we've kind of been forced into the night or the twilight grand final. So, um, but it, I reckon if they wanted a, a day grand final on that, on that date, they would have said so by now. Interesting. Let's be honest. Who's watching the Cox Plate if the AFL Grand Finals on? And and even if you even if you want to watch the race, you're going to watch it for two minutes and then you're going to go back to the AFL. You're not you're not sitting there all day watching the the telecast of the Cox Plate. So well, there are many races. It's not just one race. That's the the entire. Day. Yes, I know, but I know, but but who else is watching? I mean, outside, it's like the Melbourne Cup. Outside of the Melbourne Cup, the the race, you watch that three minutes, but. For for ninety nine percent of people that do not care about horse racing throughout the year, who's watching it? People will watch the race and then they'll switch it back. I think so, racing um, has more cut through than you think, Jake. I think it's not quite ninety nine percent of people who don't care. I think they get good crowds and they get good TV numbers. Um, no, but what I'm saying is ninety nine percent of people don't care about ninety nine percent of people that watch the Melbourne Cup or the Cox Plate don't watch any other racing throughout the year. They'll watch the Spring Carnival, but they're not watching other racing. Are they going to be sitting on Sky Sky Racing with the with them getting their multis out in front of their TV at home? No, people don't. People, you take gambling and alcohol away from horse racing, it's nothing. Uh, Rant so, what does your that to our, like? <laughs> well, that to our racing friends. <laughs> uh, so far, we've ticked off NRL fans, racing fans. <laughs> um, well, I think that if the AFL doesn't experiment, like Neil said, if the AFL does not experiment, and I hate using the word experiment because experiment, experiment to me means we're not sure what the outcome's going to be. We know what the outcome eventually is going to be with the AFL. It's going to be night grand finals, and the traditionalists need to realise that that's going to happen in the future and get over it and get it done sooner rather than later. <laughs> so if the AFL does a night grand final this year, sorry, if they don't do a night grand final this year, it's a huge missed opportunity. It's it's a massive missed opportunity yeah. that they, they have to do it. Um, whether forgetting the whole Cox Plate thing, forget that even exists. They should they should be putting this on at night, um, minimum twilight. But I think it should be should be night. The other thing to think of is no, sorry, that's that's not accurate. Yeah, so, so, um, forget that. No, I was going to say something else, but I realised it wasn't right. I was about to ask if you had a rant for this week, something you were frustrated with, but I'll tell you what, that'll do, and we might clip that up. For some, uh, that, was, that was pretty good. Um, one last thing, though, about what you said about the 20,000 people. Now, I know this is what you what you would like to see happen, I guess, or, but I can't see the... Can you really see every fifth seat a fan and then four seats in between them are empty? Hey, you know, stranger things I don't, happen. I don't see it. I, I just cardboard can't see cutout. how. If you've, been, if you've been told 10 weeks ago there'd be cardboard cutout fans in the stands, you'd be laughed <laughs> out of the room. Uh, you know, if they can get if they can get the revenue from 20,000 people, be, be they everyday fans or corporates willing to pay a decent coin, I guarantee well, How expensive are those tickets going to be? They will look at it. I'm telling you now, they'll look at it. People will pay whatever... If, if you if you've if got a long club, suffering fan, if if, it, you're, exactly, if you're a Melbourne yeah. fan, I'm telling you now, you would be you'd be looking at your bank account and thinking, "Whoa, geez." Yeah, but my my point is, it's not about. I know the AFL will look into it, and they should do it because it's it's you know revenue that they can make. But my point is, if you're you know if you're a Tigers fan and Richmond are in the grand final, and you want to go with your your family of four to the game, what you're all going to stand in different spots watching the game. I don't see how that will work. 
And I don't see how you can actually police it to have a whole stadium of people ensuring that people aren't getting close together. You need so much security that it defeats the purpose that people are close together anyway. You're a glass half empty man about this. So I'm, I'm hoping <laughs> to look at uh, the AFL getting something done for the fans because... Just get 100,000 nice. there and, and get it back to normal. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, we've got to go. We've gone uh, well over time here, gents. Anything else to add before we call it on another episode? Looking of forward the- to footy being back in three nights' time. Can't wait. Yep. yep. I'm going to go watch a bit of uh, horse racing now. Apologies to horse <laughs> I'll racing. Click on, the, click on the NRL highlights from the weekend. All right, that'll do us. Wix uh, highlights. <laughs> remember to Thanks, get your guys. tips in ahead of uh, Thursday night. The Footy Tips app is updated and ready to go. And we'll speak to you on the next episode of the podcast. Thanks for listening to the ESPN Footy Tips AFL podcast.